Would you open your Bible with me, please, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking this past week um, about the first sermon that I ever preached. Um, it was in the only church to that point in my life that I had ever been a part of. And I grew up in that church, was saved in that church, was baptized in that church, was married in that church. And on a cold winter Sunday evening in December of 1993, preached my first ever sermon in that church. And it was bad. It was really bad. And, and you know what that's like, right? You don't have to be a preacher to, to experience this, but you give your life to something like whatever it is that you're passionate about that you give your life to, and, and in one of those nostalgic moments, you look back to the first time you ever did that thing, and, and you think to yourself, why didn't somebody stop me? Like, why didn't somebody just pump the brakes? And, and it was only um, a few years later that I was standing every week behind the pulpit of a small country church and preaching to a handful of people, and, and those people were gracious, and um, it was in those early days of, of trying to figure all of this out, still trying to figure a lot of this out, but um, it was in those early days especially of trying to understand what I'm doing and, and what's happening right now, um, that 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 to 5 became the heartbeat of what God had called me to do. And a few passages in the Bible have been more instrumental in my understanding of preaching than what we're about to read in this passage this morning. And part of the reason that I say that is because the instruction that Paul wrote down here in 1 Corinthians 2 is just as valid and it's just as relevant today as it was almost 2,000 years ago when he first wrote it. Um, this is just as valid and just as relevant for Brantford as it was for Corinth. Because in many respects, when you think about it, nothing has really changed over the course of these two millennia since Paul wrote this. People today still struggle with the idolatries of money and power and reputation, just like they did in Corinth. People today still want to make a name for themselves, and they'll do whatever they can to make that happen, just like they did in Corinth. People today still want to fulfill their own desires and, and want their own way in all manner of things, just like they did in Corinth. And yet, on the flip side, there's something else that's also true, because people today are still released from all of those things in the very same way that they were in Corinth, and it's because of the power of this gospel that we preach. And so what makes this passage that we're looking at this morning so influential, and I would even say what makes this passage so enduring, is that, um, is that it, it, the answer to all of those problems that we just talked about and so many others like them is the same today as it was in Corinth all those years ago. It's this gospel that releases us. It's this gospel that saves us. It's this gospel that gives us hope and gives us answers to the questions that we face within our lives. Now... Um, some of you might be sitting here and wondering to yourself, okay, if, if this passage is about preaching the word, preaching the gospel, then what is there in this passage for me? Because many of you could be sitting here right now thinking to yourselves, well, wait a minute, I'm not a preacher and I'm never going to preach a sermon, so what could there possibly be in this passage for me right now? And, and let me just offer you uh, two answers to that question to get us thinking this morning. First, um, this passage and the points that we're going to draw out from this passage are a great prayer list that I would be absolutely honored if you would pray on a regular basis for me. 
and for Pastor Kyle and for Pastor Matt and, and really for anybody who stands up here in this church to preach the word of God, this is a great prayer list to pray for, for us. And if you would pray this for us and with us, then uh, that would be a win for us for sure. The second answer to that question is this. Um, as we get into this passage, you're going to notice that Paul is about to take us back to that time when he first planted the church in Corinth, when, when he first went to the city of Corinth. And we read that story back in Acts chapter 18. And when Paul came to Corinth, he didn't just stand in the synagogues and preach. Of course, he did that, and that was a big part of what he did. But when Paul went to Corinth, he also went from house to house, and he shared the gospel with people that he had met. So just imagine Paul making his way through the city and, and sitting in the living room with some friends and talking about Jesus. Think of him sitting at the kitchen table or walking down the road with some people that he knows and asking about their relationship with God and, and explaining that Jesus is the only Savior. And so we come to this passage, and, and whether Paul was preaching in a synagogue or he was sharing the gospel in a conversation, 1 Corinthians 2 is what governed his approach when it came to talking to other people about Jesus. And it needs to be that for us as well. So we come to this passage, verses 1 through 5, and, and on the one hand, we see that this is like a, a beginner's manual for preaching. But then on the other hand, we read this passage, and we see that this is also like a field guide for evangelism. That when you're talking to other people about Jesus and sharing your faith with them, here's what you need to keep in mind. Here's what's happening in those moments when you're talking to them about Jesus. These are important lessons for us to keep in mind when things like that are happening. So, so whether it's the word being preached in a church service or it's the gospel being shared in a conversation, I want you to see that, that there's one big idea that hangs over these five verses that we're going to look at this morning, and it's very simply this. You can jot this down. When the message is the cross of Christ, then the promise is the power of the Spirit. When the message is the cross of Christ, then the promise is the power of the Spirit. We're going to unpack that a little bit as we go along this morning through this passage. So, uh, let's have our Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, follow along with me as I begin reading verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Father, I, um, I ask now, on behalf of your people gathered together in this room, that as uh, we turn our attention to this passage, that you would lead us, Lord, that you would teach us, Spirit of God, that you would fill us, and that in filling us, you would give us the eyes to see what we need to see. Lord, teach us what we do not know. Help us to see what we have not seen. Give us faith to believe, Lord, again, as we pray so often. Give us faith to believe that your way is the best way. So, Lord, I, I ask, um, even now in light of this passage that we just read, that, that everything that happens now in this moment would be a demonstration of your spirit and of power. That it would be your power at work in this moment so that our faith would not rest in man, 
but in the power of God. May you be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So when the message is the cross of Christ, then the promise is the power of the Spirit. So how then do we talk to others about Jesus? What is it that that we need to keep in mind as the word is being preached like it is right now? What is it that we need to keep in mind as, as you go from here and you have opportunities to talk to other people about Jesus? How then do we talk to others about Christ. I'd like to show you four ways right from this passage. I hope you can see them for yourself as we make our way through these five verses. Here's the first, number one. You can jot this down. Keep it simple. How do we talk to other people about Jesus? First of all, keep it simple. I want you to see what Paul says right at the start of verse one. He says, and I, when I came to you. Now, I don't think that's a throwaway phrase. I don't think he's saying that just to introduce everything else that he wants to say. I think that phrase right there is actually really important, and here's why. We know that Paul planted this church in Corinth. Again, we read that story in Acts chapter 18. But when he says here, I came to you, keep in mind, loved ones, that Paul was always at the ready with the gospel. He was ready to talk to anybody at any time, anywhere about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about how much God loved those people because of what he did through Jesus Christ. So the whole reason that Paul is going to Corinth is to tell these people about Jesus. He's living his life in front of them in a way that would show them the simple love of Christ for them. And I believe that there is something really important for us to take from that, that as we go about our daily activities, as we go from one commitment to another, as we go from one job site to another, as we go from one parenting responsibility to another, it's almost as if we're approaching everything we do with the mindset of, I'm coming to you so that my words and my life will be able to communicate to you God's simple love for you through Jesus Christ, his son. So sure, we're going to talk about other things. Sure, we're going, to, we're going to do a lot of other things through the course of the relationship that we have. All of that stuff's going to happen. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, I am coming to you because I want you to know Jesus. Loved ones, I, I wonder, do you look at your life like that? Do you see your life through that grid, through that lens? Do you see the places where God has put you no matter where it may be? whether it's in your workplace or, or in your neighborhood or, or with your friends or in that classroom or wherever it is that you are, do you see those places where God has put you as the pathways that he has given you to proclaim the simple message of the gospel? Like all of life is a pathway for the gospel. But notice now how the gospel travels down that pathway. He says to them, I didn't come to you with like the flowery eloquence of all of these other guys who use a bunch of words that nobody understands. He says, I didn't come to you like that and and all these guys who speak so well, but the people totally miss the point of what they're saying because they're so enamored with the way that the guy said it. He says, I didn't come to you like that. I didn't come to you with all of these lofty words and trying to impress you with who I am. I mean, think about that for a minute. Like, what good would it be for me to stand up here week after week after week after week and talk in such a way that by the time you leave here, you're more impressed with me than you are with Jesus? That is a massive fail, loved ones. And anyone who comes here and preaches like that, that is a massive fail. He says, I didn't come to you with that kind of lofty speech. He goes on, he says, I didn't come to you with wisdom. Now, understand this, he's... 
Uh, Paul is not denying the use of logic. Like, he's talked a lot about wisdom just in this first chapter, and, and we've talked a lot about wisdom through the course of our study over the past number of weeks, but, but he's talking a lot about the wisdom of the world compared to the wisdom of God. He's not denying the reality or the necessity of wisdom. Uh, he's not rejecting the use of logic. I mean, Paul wrote much of the New Testament. Read the book of Romans. The guy's brilliant, right? We know that. Um, what he's saying here is simply this. Listen, when I came to you, I didn't want you to see me. I didn't want you to be so enamored by me. I don't want you to see the preacher. I want you to see the one who's being preached about. I just want you to see Jesus. And uh, loved ones, I, I really believe that that's the call for us today. That for us as preachers, for us as teachers, for us as, as witnesses of Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we would live our lives before a watching world in such a way that, that we are not the least bit concerned about people seeing who we are, but instead we are supremely concerned about people seeing how great Jesus is. Like keep it simple. Point people to Jesus. Last weekend, um, there was a young family that walked into the building here just before, just as our second service was about to start. And uh, as they walked in, it became really apparent that um, they had some kind of urgent physical needs. And, um, and so two people on our welcome team started to, to talk to this man, his wife, and, and they had two really young kids. And, and uh, two people on our welcome team engaged them in the conversation, sit down, start talking to them, start listening to their story and, and understanding what their needs. And so as that conversation's going on, there's a handful of other people within our church who kind of spring into action at that point, and, and they're going off in all different places trying to meet the, the urgent physical needs that this young family has. And, and all the while as that's happening, these two people on our welcome team are sitting there, and, and they're just listening to this family tell their story and where they're from and what's going on. And, and then they just begin to share the gospel with them. They just say, like I, I heard parts of the story afterwards, but, but they sat there and just shared a simple gospel message that that God loves you, and he loves you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, to die for you. And here's why Jesus had to die for you, and, and here's how you can be made right with God. And, and yes, you have these urgent physical needs, and we want to do whatever we can to help you meet some of those needs as best we can, but we also want you to understand that you have a spiritual need that is far more urgent than even those physical needs, and here's how that spiritual need can be truly satisfied within your life. Like, I heard that, and I was like, yes, that's it. Like, that is so great. Like, let, let's celebrate that, right? Praise the Lord for that divine appointment and those people walking in and, and the courage of those who shared the gospel with them and met the needs that they have. Like, let's celebrate the goodness of God in that. Praise God for that. And so it's, it's like we look at this, and, and it's like we're not using big, fancy words, like, that's not what this is about, and, and we're not trying to impress you with all the wisdom that we have and how great we are, and, and we don't want you to leave here thinking more about us than you think about Jesus. We just want you to know Jesus. Like, that's why we're sharing the gospel, right? That's why we're talking to the people that we care about so much, because we just want them to know Christ. Who cares if they know us? Who cares if they don't remember us? We just want you to know Jesus. I mean, when you think about it, um, it has to be that way, because Paul's coming to them here, and he's not trying to sell them something. He's not trying to give them something that they don't need. Notice again verse 1. 
He's proclaiming to them the testimony of God. Some translations there say the mystery of God. Paul says, I come to you proclaiming the testimony of God. He says, I'm just a witness for what God has done. So, so think about this uh, in a court of law, right? The, the witness gets on the stand. They raise their right hand, put their other hand on the Bible. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? And that witness is in the courtroom to testify to something that they know, to testify to something that they have seen firsthand. They're not standing there to tell other people their opinion. They're not there to talk about stuff that they have no idea what was going on. They are there to talk about something that they know to be true, something that they know to be a reality within their life. And Paul says, I come to testify, to be a testimony of God, that, that God has done this work in my life and God can do this work in your life and I've, I'm here to testify that God has done this work in the lives of so many other people and I know that he can do this work in your life too if you will turn away from your sin, turn away from yourself and trust in Jesus. He can do this for you. So I'm coming to you proclaiming the testimony of God that he has given Jesus, his only son, for you and for me because he loves us so that if we believe in all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for us, then we can be made right with God forever. It's almost like he's coming to them and saying, listen, far be it from me to make this more complicated than it needs to be. I just want you to know Jesus. That's it. Listen, loved ones. What does the person working at the desk next to you need? What is the family member who, who's been so resistant for so long, what do they need? What does the person laying in the hospital bed need? What is the young family who walks into a church just before the service starts with two little kids and urgent physical needs, what do they need? What does this church and every other church across our nation need? What do we need? What we don't need is a lecture on politics or philosophy or moralism or a speech by someone who's trying too hard to make themselves sound better than they really are. We don't need any of those things. What we need is Jesus. First way for us to proclaim the gospel, first way for us to talk to other people about Jesus, let's keep it simple. Here's number two. Uh, Know the message. Know the message. Uh, Verse 2, Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's pretty simple, isn't it? We need to know the message. See, uh, Paul understood one foundational reality, and that is um, he understood that the cross of Jesus Christ is at the heart of the gospel. And because the cross of Jesus Christ is at the heart of the gospel, that also means then that the cross of Jesus Christ is at the heart of life itself. You cannot talk about the gospel without talking about the cross. Because without the cross, there is no gospel. You know, it's not like um, the only thing that Paul ever talked about was the cross. He's not saying, I, I came and lived among you for 18 months and it was just cross, 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 cross. Like, that's not what he's saying here, right? We read through 1 Corinthians and, and we know that he talked about a lot of other stuff. But what he's saying here is that the power to change your life And the power to change the way that you see life happens when you rightly see what Jesus has done for you at the cross. Like, this is what we need. This is what a lost and dying world needs. We need to know the one singular message that has the power to change a life forever. Now, um, you might know that this is one part of Christianity that for a long time now has been viciously attacked. 
It's been ridiculed. It's been demeaned. Critics and skeptics, even among those who would call themselves part of the bigger evangelical Christian family, have mocked the cross for a very long time. They'll say things like, um, cross is nothing more than divine child abuse. That a father would sentence his son to die a death like that. How could a loving God do something so horrific to a son that he claims to love? Like, no way we can accept that. It's too graphic, it's, it's too extreme, it's too shocking. And yet here's the rub with that, friends, that um, as a church, that's exactly where we've decided to plant our flag, in that spot, at the foot of the cross. Like, like we are saying that as a church, we will know nothing among this world except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the one message that we will proclaim until the Lord takes us home to be with him. As followers, as witnesses of Jesus Christ, all of us as we share the gospel, like we are saying that we will know nothing among this world except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message we proclaim. So, so here's the question of the hour for us. What is it about Jesus Christ and him crucified that matters so much? What is it about that particular message that Paul would come to the Corinthians and say to them, okay, listen, I decided to know nothing else. I decided to proclaim nothing else among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why is it that this matters so much? Like, think about it. If someone were to come to you and ask you that question, why do you believe in a message of of a cross? Why do you believe in a message that is so shocking and so graphic and so violent? What would you say? How would you respond to that? I want to give you um, four reasons why the cross matters so much. Four reasons why Jesus Christ and him crucified needs to matter. Listen, loved ones, this, this right now, this is, this is really good, really needed theology for us. Okay? We need to understand this because this is at the heart of the gospel. And again, because this is at the heart of the gospel, this then is really at the heart of our life. It's at the heart of our existence. We need to know the message and we need to know why the message matters so much. So here's four reasons why Jesus Christ and him crucified matter so much. Number one, because we are redeemed through his blood. We are redeemed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul says, Ephesians 1, verse 7, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross is what purchased our salvation. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place, we have been forgiven all of our sins, and this because of the grace of God. Like, why does the cross matter so much? It matters because we are redeemed through his blood. Second, it matters because we are justified through his blood. Paul says, Romans 5, verse 9, Since, therefore, we have now been, here it is, justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Think about that. We have been justified by God. We have been justified before him. Because of the cross, we have been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. God thinks of our sins as fully forgiven and as Christ's righteousness belonging totally to us. So that when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sin, he sees his son. Awesome. 
Why does the cross matter so much? Because we are redeemed through his blood, we are justified through his blood, then this third, because we are forgiven through his blood. We are forgiven through his blood. Hebrews 9, verse 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Here it is. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. In the Old Testament, the people would sacrifice animals, and the shed blood of the animals would cover over the sins of the people. The problem is they would have to keep coming back over and over and over again to keep atoning for their sins. But then Jesus came, and when Jesus died on the cross, the shedding of his blood was the once-for-all sacrifice that forgives the sins of all of those who believe in him. We are forgiven through his blood. William Cooper wrote an amazing hymn about this all the way back in 1722, the hymn is called There is a Fountain. You might be familiar with it. It's, it's still a fairly popular hymn. And, uh, and here's some of the words of the hymn. Don't worry, I won't sing it. I don't want to make your ears bleed. But, but here, here are the words of this hymn that Cooper wrote all the way back in 1772. He says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. When this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I will sing thy power to save. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The cross matters because through the cross we are forgiven by God. Then finally this. The cross matters because we are rescued through his blood. We are rescued through his blood. Romans 3, Paul says, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation there, that... that, That's a word that simply means that God's rightful wrath against our sin has been absorbed by Jesus and we have been delivered. It's it's a little bit like the picture that Isaiah gives in, uh, I believe it's Isaiah chapter 38. He says, we were sentenced to death in a pit of destruction. Like we were thrown in, it's like we were thrown into a pit of destruction, but then in an act of God's amazing grace, it's like God reaches down into that pit, grabs us, pulls us back out of the pit, and gives us life. We have been rescued from dying in that pit of destruction. Why? Because of God's amazing grace to us. The cross of Jesus Christ matters because we have been rescued through his blood. Loved ones, listen, can you see why the cross matters so much? Can you see why it matters so much that we need to know the message? That God has created every single person who has ever lived in the face of the earth, in the history of the planet. God has created every single person in his image, in his likeness, for his glory. But every single person has sinned against him. And in sinning against him, we are separated from him. But in his grace and mercy, God has made a way for us to be made right with him. He gave Jesus, his only son, to live a perfect life and then to die in our place and for our sins. And then on the third day, Jesus rose again to defeat sin and death so that if we will turn away from our sin and turn away from trying to make ourselves right with God, and if we believe in Jesus as the only way to know God, then you are forgiven of all of your sins, past, 
present and future. God will no longer then look upon you in judgment. Instead, he will look upon you with gladness. And once your heart has been changed by God in this radical way, then the only fitting response is to let him do with our life whatever it is that he desires. This is the good news, loved ones, that has changed us. This is why the cross needs to matter so much to us. It matters because this is not only the message that rescues us from death, it is the message that gives to us life and it gives it to us abundantly. I was never good at math, still not good at math. But here's a little bit of uh, gospel arithmetic that I know works out. I, I know it's right. And, and it's what Paul is saying here in these first two verses. Like when he comes and, and he says, I didn't come to, come to you with a lofty speech or wisdom. I, I just came knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here's, here's a, a little bit of what he's saying. Think of it like this. The gospel plus anything equals nothing. The gospel plus anything equals nothing. So Anytime that, that we try and give the gospel to someone else, share the gospel with them, but then we try and add something to it. Anytime that, that we try and understand how the gospel applies to our life, but, but then we try and add something to it, inevitably, we're taking away from the power of the gospel. The gospel is strong enough to save. The gospel is strong enough on its own to sanctify. So anytime we say, hey, listen, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be a really good person. Or anytime we say, hey, you need to believe in Jesus, but you need to stop doing that, or you need to, to do this, you need to change that, whatever. Anytime we add that as a way to be saved in Jesus Christ, then we are inevitably taking away from the power of the gospel. So the gospel plus anything equals nothing. But then look at this. The gospel plus nothing equals everything. The gospel plus nothing equals everything. When you understand that everything stands on the foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified, that's when we enjoy all the blessings of the gospel and we are released from all the burdens of performance. We need to know the message. And we need to know why the message matters. We need to know it because... Listen, friends, this, this gospel message is not just the gospel that has saved you. Okay, that's true. This gospel message has saved you, and the power of this gospel alone is what makes you right with God. But we need to understand at the very same time that it's the power of this gospel that sanctifies us. It's the power of this gospel that's going to change us. To understand that, that everything that happened at the cross is not only why we've been made right with God, but the power of what happened at the cross is what day by 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 year by year, that's what transforms us more into the image of Jesus. So we need to know this message, not just to talk to other people about it. We need to know this message, not just so that we know what to expect when we come to church and somebody stands up here and starts preaching. We need to know this message because this is the message that changes us. How do we talk to others about the gospel? Keep it simple. Know the message. Then this, number three. Don't forget how much you need God. Don't forget how much you need God. Take a look at verses three and four. Paul says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul says here, I, I came to you in weakness 
probably a physical weakness, though we don't know exactly what, it, uh, what he's referring to here. Uh, and then he says, I came to you in fear and much trembling. It's not that he feared the Corinthian people. It's that he feared God. It's that he looked at the people in the Corinthian church whom he loved so much. I mean, that's why he went to Corinth in the first place. That's why he's writing this letter to them now. Because he loves them. But he also saw how much they were being influenced by the world around them. And so he comes back to this singular message again. He says, I just want you to know Jesus. I just want you to know his power because, because I realize what is at stake for you in eternity if you reject God's grace in your life right now. See, loved ones, it's not just that we need the power of God to proclaim this message. It's that we need the power of God to plant this kind of urgency within our hearts. Loved ones, has, has the gospel taken root so deep in your heart that you're praying for God to release you from the fear of man so that you can grow in the fear of God? Like has the gospel has it gone so deep within you? Has it convicted you so greatly? Has it, has it blessed you so deeply that you're coming before God and praying, God, please release me from the fear of man? so that I can grow in a fear of you. God, release me from the fear of thinking what other people are going to think when I talk to them about Jesus. God, release me from the fear of how they might respond. God, release me from the fear of thinking that I need to say the exact right thing at the exact right time in the exact right way or they're not going to be saved. Look, that's what makes verse 4 so filled with hope. He's like, my whole approach has never been to come to you with plausible words of wisdom. I love that. He didn't come to them trying to persuade them by his own ability. Instead, he says, I came here in demonstration of the spirit and of power. See, part of the issue here is that the Corinthians wanted Paul to swoop in and just kind of razzle-dazzle everybody with his oratorical ability, just like all the other speech givers of the day. And, and Paul comes to them, and he's like, no way, man. Like, no way that we're not doing that, because the minute that this thing becomes about the preacher is the minute that the whole thing falls apart. Like, good lessons for us, right? The minute that any of this, any of what's going on right now, loved ones, the minute that any of this becomes about the person who stands up here, anytime any of this becomes about the preacher's personality or the preacher's ability or the preacher's strength or the preacher's weakness, that anytime any of this becomes about that is the minute this whole thing begins to crumble. And the minute that we think that any of our efforts to tell other people about Jesus are about us, whether in our strength or in our weakness, is the minute that, that we completely miss the point of what's going on in the course of that conversation. Listen, it is never about our ability to persuade someone else to believe. It is always about God's ability to show his power through weak vessels like us. That's the whole point. Listen, you're not here right now because... At some, uh, because someone in your life at some point in your past gave a killer speech to you. And at the end of that speech, you look back at them and you're like, huh, I am so convinced of what you just said right now that I need to believe in Jesus. Like, everybody hold up the universal symbol for how many times that's happened, right? Like zero, right? That never happens. It never goes like that. 
If, listen, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, then you are here right now because at some point in your past, the Spirit of God took the simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, delivered to you through another weak vessel, and that is what radically changed your life. He breathed a new life into you and made you alive in Jesus Christ. Like, think of the people that you've had the privilege of leading to the Lord. Those people are not in the kingdom right now because you happened to knock the gospel out of the park. That's not why they're in the kingdom. No, those people are in the kingdom right now because in your faithfulness to tell them about Jesus and in spite of your weakness, the Spirit of God took those words that came out of your mouth breathed his power onto them, and in mysterious ways that we will never fully understand, he rescues that person from being dead in their sins and makes them alive in Jesus Christ. Like the only reason that people come here and anything of eternal value happens because of something I say or something somebody else standing up here says, the only reason we see fruit that will last in any of our lives, any of your lives or my life, it doesn't matter. The only reason we see that is because the Spirit of God falls upon this place and does the work that only He can do. We need to understand that right now, as the Word of God is being preached, that as we go out and we share the gospel with other people, there are super natural things that happen in those moments that cannot happen any other way. Like the Spirit of God is working. The Spirit of God is convicting. The Spirit of God is pouring out His power in ways that we can't see and in ways that we may never understand, but He is doing it. And the only reason that lives get changed is because He does it. It's the Spirit of God. So, moment of grace right now. I wonder how many of us, myself included, like I would put myself right at the top of this list, how many of us need to pray, Lord, forgive me for thinking that it's all up to me. How many of us need to pray, Lord, forgive me for not saying anything when I should have said something, when I could have said something, because I've been paralyzed by the fear that it's all up to me. Because I've been paralyzed by this fear that I don't know what they're going to say, I don't know what they're going to do, I don't know what they're going to think. How many of us just need to pray, Lord, please forgive me. Spirit of God, please fill me that I can share with power and, and that in that moment I'm going to see your power at work. When the message is the cross of Christ, then the promise is the power of the Spirit. Let's not forget how much we need God. That leads then to one final way to talk to other people about Jesus. Number four, remember where the power is. Remember where the power is. Paul brings this train of thought um, into the station, you could say. Verse five. He says, so that. So notice that. Um, I didn't come to you to convince you with my words, but instead by the Spirit's power. And, and the reason that I did that, Paul says, verse five, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Remember where the power is. Finish this verse uh, with me. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4.6. When Paul um, wrote his second letter to the Corinthian church, 
He talked more openly about the battle that happens as the gospel is being proclaimed, whether it's being preached in church or whether it's being shared in a conversation. And, and as the battle happens, um, whether no matter where it's happening or, or wherever it's happening, um, if you're sharing the gospel, the thing is, I, th- I think you know this to be true. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that even as we proclaim the gospel to people who need to know Jesus, that the enemy is working to blind their minds. The enemy is working to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the life that is in Christ. And, and so Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 5. He says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. In other words, um, we have this treasure of the gospel, even though we are these weak, fragile, powerless vessels in ourselves. Notice what he says, verse 7. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The very prospect of talking to someone else about Jesus, for as much joy as it brings when we do it, can also make us feel weak, can make us feel afraid, can make us feel incapable, insufficient. I mean, how many of us know that to be true, right? It, it just makes us feel weak, and on some level, listen, on some level, that's exactly how we're supposed to feel. But we're not supposed to stay there. We're not supposed to be paralyzed by that sense of weakness because for as weak and as afraid and as incapable as we may feel, It's to remind us yet again that the power belongs to God and not to us. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. When the message is the cross of Christ, then the promise is the power of the spirit.